Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and uh, it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest for today, Nader Mirabi, CIO of NYU Langone Health in New York City. Nader, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So let's get started. This podcast is mostly about healthcare digital transformation, and I thought I'd get started with something at a high level on the current state of digital. So healthcare is in early stages of digital transformation and the definition of digital varies from health system to health system. How are you defining it at uh, NYU Langone Health and how is digital different from traditional IT? Okay, so, so let's go a little back about, we have to put a context of digital transformation to what's happening broadly in the healthcare delivery space. Clearly, healthcare delivery space shifting from inpatient to ambulatory into home care into preventive care. And the evolution of that is in various degree worldwide and also in the United States and different markets. But in an institution like us, who's uh, you know, over 150 years old, how do, you, how do you transform it to really meet that challenge is an interesting question. And for us, that journey started about 13 years with our new um, dean and CEO, Dr. Robert Grossman, taking the helm of this institution and, and thinking holistically across the board about how that transformation would take place, where the delivery of care is standardized, uniforms, it's got ice quality, and then it has, clearly has digital technology embedded in that to deliver that service. And to that end, digital transformation means taking an enterprise approach of how we do care delivery and then weaving into that delivery technology that is integrated, smart, intelligent, and meets and expands all the way touches the patient and their family. And the spectrum touches everybody that work and deliver that service across the board. And you want to provide all that, expect all-in-one healthcare service, which we are that kind of organization. We want you to be connected with us, whether you need us a very small things or all the way during your life and then in, in the very state of your health that we are interested in your health and your well-being throughout your life. And the digital plays an important part, such as, as well as the, where the space plays, where if you're coming to ambulatory locations, you want not only technology work, but you want the facility work, you want your care to work, you want your doctors to be great, and so on. So it's in that spectrum that we feel the digital transformation. How is that different from IT, traditional IT? It's totally different. Traditional IT is about you know, putting system and making certain things work for people, but it's not thought out about how it's be part of an integrated delivery system. And it's really critical and pivotal to the success of trans- that transformation. Yeah. I think you touched on some very interesting points there. You obviously spoke about uh, some of the big drivers for digital transformation. One of the big ones being the shift from inpatient care to ambulatory and home-based care. There's one other thing you mentioned there which struck me, which was taking an enterprise approach to digital. But what we see in my firm's research is that 
most health systems are driving digital as a portfolio of standalone projects, but they don't necessarily align to some kind of an enterprise strategy or roadmap. Is that what you're seeing as well, Neda? I just wanted to get your sense on what you see as the current state when it comes to these digital transformation initiatives. So uh, I think there's a mix out there. I mean, certain institutions clearly see that as a strategic enablement meant for the delivering care. There are other institutions that see it as one-off. But, you know, to truly deliver digital services along with the rest of your capabilities, you have to be thinking enterprise. You can be where you're looking digital to your patient and consumers, but yet inside of your institution, everything is sort of a, goes back to the dialogue mode, you know. That just breaks the promise of digital, the cost savings, the integration, the quality of that you need to deliver. Can you imagine if Amazon took your order and then from that point on and then it started being paper printed and then it went into another system to process that and then it was not integrated with the delivery side of the house, how your packages get back to you and how Amazon knows to track that. It may work in some degree, but it's totally a broken process and not that will be called digital. For example, in our, in our market, we have competitors who put out their virtual urgent care services, but it's not digital. It looks digital to patients when they get service, but the doctors are not an EMR. The doctor may be servicing you from other states. The quality may vary. So these are the things what I call, it's not digital. It may look like digital, but underneath it is all sorts of stuff that it maybe creates more work and to some degree impedes quality. Yeah, I will come back to the Amazon comment in a little bit. Uh, I did have a question for you on that. But I wanted to just touch on this one thing uh, related to the shift from inpatient to virtual care or home-based care. Now, NYU Langone Health is obviously sitting in one of the highest cost real estate in the world is in New York City. Now, is there a significance to the shift that is either helping you or in some way impacting your approach to digitally transforming the enterprise, the fact that you are in New York City? Well, clearly everything, when you're in New York City, you have a different mandate. One, we are in a highly competitive environment in New York City market. There are multiple competitors and they're very close, dense location to each other. So you don't have to go far to find another healthcare provider to get your service, which I think it keeps us our toes. The second is that we, for example, in Wailangon, we don't own a lot of hospitals. We only have hospitals that are really in the community and close to you. So our vision of how we provide services, we want it to be convenient to our patient and their family and close to your work where we live. And then having really ambulatory locations that are accessible as a multi-service specialty, as imaging, all the convenience that, that the patients are looking for, and having that connectivity through our digital offering so that you can, you can feel that we are one click away. But we feel that the hospitals are, are needed uh, where we have complex care, and, but they are very expensive resources to manage, and we don't have a lot of them. A lot of our care is really in ambulatory, whereas we have physician offices or multidisciplinary specialty services. Yeah, that's interesting. So let me come back to the Amazon comment. We've been seeing the emergence of a lot of these, what I call the digital front door applications, if you will. Amazon's not the only one. Walgreens has launched something. In fact, they were on my podcast uh, recently. Uh, we've seen uh, Walmart launching something. We've seen 
you know, we've also seen Best Buy making statements about getting into the whole business. So obviously they are all approaching it from their own standpoint. And then you've got the traditional health systems like NYU Langor and others that have a really, really strong connection with the community and a very, very strong brand image. But at the same time, there is also a shift in terms of consumer preferences. Do you feel that there is a certain shift that uh, means that the marketplace or the competitive environment is going to shift towards a whole different mode and means of acquiring and retaining patients? Can you comment uh, on this trend, especially all these new non-traditional players yeah. getting in? So it depends on perspective. If you want to be just transactional, it's one thing. Clearly, if I, I just want to see a virtual urgent doctor and just get my antibiotics or get treated or and that's it. That's a different mandate where you want people to be connected with you, where you you want them to think about you and their phone when they think about care. And you, you want to be... So we think of much more of an integrated long-term perspective as opposed to be totally transactional. So we, we think that you feel that we are there for you when you need us. And we are one click away from your phone, which most younger generation from yeah. early teens to 50s think now. So it's a broadest spectrum and that we're there with you in the long haul, not just a transaction. That's well said. Because so, we are capable of providing that full level of service. Well, in, yeah. we've, our, our enterprise is capable of providing that level of service. It's, it's a full service. That is true. That is true. So switching tracks a little bit, you know, as the CIO of NYU Langone Health, you have responsibility for maintaining your core transactional systems, but you also have a responsibility to drive the organization forward from a digital initiatives and digital investment standpoint. Now, health systems carry a lot of technical debt, and they're generally considered to be a little bit underinvested in the technology landscape, and a lot of the IT budgets, from what I've seen and heard, get consumed in core platforms such as the electronic health record system. We also have to invest in building for the future, even though that may or may not produce returns. Example being telehealth, where I'm told no one's really making money, but you have to invest because it is the way of the future. How do you do the trade-offs in your role as a CIO? So a couple of things. One, I'm very blessed having a great leadership who really see IT technology not as, and digital as a, as a great enabler, not a, just an expense, but is really a foundational and enabler and a strategic asset to propel the organization forward on its missions. The second thing is we've been very thoughtful about how to do this. So for the past eight or nine years, we've been very focused on really fixing IT, the guts of technology and platform delivery and, and really curing it as opposed to, you know, you have a crumbled building and you just want to build another capability on top of it. And so we didn't do that. We really were really mindful of really fixing and the fundamentally being platform oriented and fixing all of that so that when you move to digital space, you're not just, your foundation is totally rotten and it will crumble. So for example, example, I give you a concrete example, our virtual urgent care platform is really part of our EHR platform. The doctors don't go to different systems to document about the patient. They get clearly in the same chart. They see the appointment, whether that's a virtual appointment or their regular appointments in one place. And the patient engaged through the, the same app. So that is an important aspect of really standardizing on platform, fixing the foundational and the data and the workflow, and really having the foundational technology work and then 
that enables you to build on and create the digital capability. Now, we the other thing we've done, we've done a lot of standardization of EHR across our enterprise. All our hospitals, our ambity location use one EHR, that's okay, but use one common workflow and one common standardization. That is really what's built on top of that so that you can assess the quality care we provide across the enterprise, not in one location or two locations. And the patient experience is the same. Whether you walk into our ambulatory location in, or a hospital in New York City or walk in Brooklyn or you know, in Long Island, you feel you experience the same thing. So these are foundational. And to do that, and what also that allows to reduce the cost of technology services. So we'll be able to maintain, you know, we don't spend all our IT dollars on EHR, to be very uh, blunt. We don't. Why? Because we have standardized so much. And so, and we don't have a lot of staff, an army of staff to maintain various workflows. So we were able to use those dollars for other novel things, such as improving patient and family experience through technology. So I just want to make that point. So if we be thoughtful about it, we actually, you don't have to spend a lot of money on just EHR. Now, the implementation of EHR costs money. I can deny that. But that's where we have to really not allow standardization is key. For example, we have one formulary. We have one supply chain item master. It sounds to me like you've had a head start on this, Nader, because you mentioned that over the last several years, eight or nine years, you have been focusing on getting your IT, your core IT platforms standardized, and uh, you've been investing progressively in that so you don't feel that you're underinvested or unable to move forward with digital. So that's a good place to be in. I also wanted to just ask you, so is your primary focus from a digital transformation standpoint, is the primary focus really enhancing the patient experience or do you have other aspects? Can you talk a little bit about what maybe your top two or three focus areas when it comes to digitally transforming the enterprise? So clearly, obviously, by far, most of our minus patients and their family experience, clearly that's because that's who we serve. But uh, no, it's, it's also how we can improve our clinician experience. So we have, a, we have another initiative that is really about, that's complementary about, you know, how do we, how do we improve our physicians and, and nursing staff and uh, other clinicians as part of the care? One of the things we were very mindful when we did that, and which go back to your question, it was it is a silo process, a lot of institutions. We didn't want to improve the patients and family experience at the expense of the clinicians and make their life miserable. So we were very thoughtful and they're, they're complementary. Same thing, we want to improve our workforce experience. We know, as you know, a lot of work instead mobile and people are mobile. Uh, how do we do that? Same thing for our scientists. How do we improve their, their uh, and, and researchers' experience? Which we're thinking through that. How we improve our students' experience? Because we have medical students, we're academic, and our own staff. So it's a, uh, when we mean digital, uh, the focus is across the board. And I think they're all complementary. People expect a different type of service, but digital is part of, again, is a piece of how do you move the organization forward to be, you know, to meet the challenge of 21st century. So it's the space, it's the quality, it's the curriculum of medical education. It's so the content matters. And a lot of focus we've been also on content. For example, we have a three-year medical school track uh, that you can, so how can you do that? Because with the technology, it enables to do that, but we have to rewrite the entire curriculum, a medical education curriculum. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. 
Now, one of the big drivers and big enablers for digital initiatives is data and advanced insights. Aggregating and analyzing data in the healthcare context has got some challenges. You know, some, some are historical, data quality, data silos, but also interoperability issues and so on. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching data governance and really harnessing all the data that you have to drive some of the digital experiences that you're building? So let me go back again 10 years ago when we go through that journey, and now it's 11 years now plus. One of the things we re- I, I did involve a lot of data warehouse wizarding project and data analytics throughout my career. <laughs> and one of the things that I, that I learned and, and with my team from beginning, we knew that we were going to journey and really standardizing a platform and getting out all the pipes and reconnecting things in a meaningful way. So we set up some few guiding principles about the data. Because we knew we, in order to have great analytics, you have, to, you have to get the data right. As you know, in the old traditional data housing projects, and still people do it, how many pieces of data gets mapped and translated into the data warehouse ETL tools, right? Which I'm, I'm sure exists in every institution. One of the guiding principles we said, if, we, if the data quality is not there and the data is, is we will fix the source. We refrain from mapping the data in the data warehouse, in the analytic layer. So being the CIO of the place and having control over all the system, this was guiding principles. We did the hard work. So we went and said, we were going to fix the transactional system about the data. We're not going to map it. So instead of my organization, people don't map the data. People fix it at the transactional source. It's hard work. But when you do it, then the data quality gets better. Second about data quality you have to put it in the hands of people to see it and make it visual so people can use it. So that's how quality gets better, right? I mean, this is written about this many places. If the data is hidden, the data is not visualized, then the quality quality not going to improve. Because when people see the data and say, wow, what's this? And why is this? Was this really the amount? Or this is the really the length of stay number? That doesn't quite make sense. Then people are going to go fix the source. <laughs> People are going to really focus. And so that then you take that, that out of the equation. And then what's left is really about the real thing. When you want to act, when you see what's happening in the, in, in the enterprise, whether that's in clinical care or, or corporate, and people say, okay, now I believe in data and believe in quality. Now, this is what's really telling me. What do I do about it? And that's the other part. Well, what do you do about it? Which is also an interesting part where it, what data and insight can you provide that's actionable? And so you have to be mindful of that, about how do you make the data actionable? And it doesn't do any good if I show you data that's three months old. It may be nice to know. It gives you some perspective. It's hard to take action on a three-month-old data or, or sometimes for a last 24-hour data. It depends on what we're trying to do. So these are the foundational things as people think they have to think through. And we thought about that 10 years ago. And that paid a big dividend for us now that we have 700 metrics and 83 dashboards, and we continue investing on data analytics and I can comment about AI and so forth, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no. Well, let's talk about AI since you brought it up. What is the current state of AI? There's a lot of talk about the promise and the potential, but also a lot of concern about how it might be used in unintentionally harmful or discriminatory ways. So what is your uh, take on that? 
Well, clearly, uh, we see use about NLP, predictive analytics, and AI in a way that we think that it's helpful. Depends on what you want to do with it. A lot of people focus on putting AI and and just in the highest end of the spectrum in terms of you know predicting mortality, which we do some of that. We're giving it to their highest level of worker, which in our case is uh, clinicians, which they have, they're highly intelligent, they practice. So we think that that helps them great. But also we really think the AI can be implemented at the other spectrum where it can, it can help others to give better insights so people can do their job better. We don't think AI at the point where it's going to cure cancer, but it's clearly a capability that helps people make their decision better. For us, is across the spectrum. We also see some utility for that across very low-hanging fruit things where it really can bring to fruition some things that are very mundane and provide good insight for people to do, and we can reap the benefit of that. So we see it to be applied across the board, but we don't see that as being right now the panacea that it would automatically would cure the patients and everything would run on their own and the AI would drive everything. But it's very helpful when you highlight where a patient can be at risk for heart failure and alert the, uh, you know, the heart failure team. So there are other things that are really complementary, scanning things and bringing insight to things. Yeah, certainly uh, it looks like AI has made a great deal of progress in certain areas, uh, specifically images. You mentioned scanning. Uh, but there's other areas like cancer, oncology, where no one's going to turn over a diagnostic or a treatment decision to an an AI tool anytime soon. But yeah, I take your point. It's well well, well said. So we're coming up uh, close to the end of our time here. I do something called a lightning round where I mention a few terms that relate to emerging technologies and healthcare. I'd love to get top-of-the-mind thoughts on those terms. So are you ready for this? Sure. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Cloud. Okay, well, you can't avoid it. That's for sure. (laughs) It's always going to rain someplace. We know that uh, cloud is an important play. Uh, You have to be very mindful of that. I see healthcare industry ourselves. We we will be in multi-tenant cloud. There is not going to be one cloud that we be residing. So you have to approach it in a very pragmatic way. There has to be ROI there for cloud for you to do that. And you have to really make sure that you orchestrate your cloud strategy. So you can leave the strategy, the orchestration to others. You, the institution, have to do it. And it has to be in a, in a thoughtful and careful and calculated way. And you have to be very um, calculated about how do you move yourself to cloud that gives you your users, your patients, your, your institution the best value. Sure. Okay, next one, voice recognition. Well, I'm surprised you didn't put voice recognition with the AI. I mean, what is voice recognition without NLP and AI, right? So I think combined, and here's what AI and NLP and all these tools play a great deal. We think it's a game changer for our clinicians that it can make uh, it can make an impact improving their lives if it's done in a way that is integrated. For example, we do try our clinician use um, voice recognition on top of our EHR. There's um, great potential. I'm, I'm optimism about this technology combined with NLP and AI on top of an EHR that is truly integrated, and and hopefully at some point this technology would take away the keyboard and the mouse. And also with video. So it's just not by itself. I think with video, with NLP, with integration with EHR, to the point where the mouse and keyboard, and there are 
firms, uh, if companies that already have prototype working, where you, you now talk to a patient face to face and the EHRs around you with a video, with a, with a voice, with the computer screen and so forth. So I'm very optimistic about that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Automation and RPA, robotic process automation. I would say that you have to first off, you have to have a good enterprise strategy. This is where I see people kind of do that, you know, in a small niches. And I've seen sometimes people buy multiple um, RPA tools, which is okay because it's a new technology. But giving um, technology life that highly regulated, there's so many steps in to follow and tasks to do to meet all sorts of regulatory requirements and billing and so forth. I think it's a good play. I think it's a, especially in a back-end office, even helping clinicians to, to work their cues about mundane things that they can move around to light up their day. So there's a good play for cost savings and reducing the burdens on various uh, workforce. Yeah, I see this being used a lot in the RCM space. Do you think that's a good candidate? That's the prime candidate today? I think so, but there are other spaces as well. I said they'll just look some a, a physician work queue. There are a lot of mundane things comes on a, on a physician work queue on a day that they now complain to me. They have to stay up to hours to clean that list. And maybe um, an RPA tool can prioritize, can move things around, can channel those tasks to others. So there's a good play in other spaces as well. So I'm open-minded about it. I'm open-minded about it. I think it could be applied in many places. I think if you talk in terms of Wall Street, I'm bullish on it. I'm bullish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Pajama, any, anything that reduces pajama time, as they say, right? It's got to be right. Good. All right. The last one on the list is AR, VR, extended reality. Again, you mentioned AR, VR, but you're not mentioning 5, 5G. So that's another fascinating space. I think it's a much longer term, to be very honest. There's... Um, you know, right now, AR, VR, people using as a teaching tools, as things that he can simulate, you know, for example, now in healthcare and education, he can, he can teach a medical students or a resident about a certain surgery techniques. So it's a great, I think, right off the bat today, it's a great teaching tools. I think that's based on, I think it's there. But think about, uh, you know, also a good patient education tool, but devices are still heavy, must still, they weigh a lot and it costs a lot. Think about how you can teach a patient, their family about a procedure that they can see it. So again, a good teaching, it's there, cost us to get cheaper. But you could imagine that someone with 5G actually do visualize like that and do robotic surgery from a remote to a remote corner of the world. That's kind of interesting when you combine these with a reliable remote network and be able to feel and touch things in a different way. So have you Piloting 5G uh, at NYU Langone Health? Not yet. Not, we have some, some of our wireless access point have turned on for, for 5G. We are experimenting a little bit here, but I like to scale things once we spend to be across the board because that's where you realize the benefit, right? When you, all our ORs are connected in a different way. We already, you know, so it's to realize you have to have it enterprise-wide. Otherwise, it's just, it's just yeah. when it's isolated that you don't reap the benefit in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, one thing I did want to mention for the benefit of our listeners, you have a very interesting uh, Medium page where you talk about some of these initiatives. And I've read some of those blogs. They're very interesting. You share with the public at large some of the initiatives that you're working on so people can look at it and they can understand you know, how you're thinking about some of these emerging technologies as well. I just wanted to give a shout out because I haven't seen many others do this. And I think it's great that you're sharing some of this information in a public forum. 
No, that's great, and I appreciate the comment. I think my team has done a great job of really putting that together. So I'm sort of acting as chief editor. I really, the articles, most articles written by my team, they write and our, our faculty by large. And so one of the guiding principles we had for our Medium page, I, what I wanted to put there is things that are useful, that are highest quality, uh, that we give people perspective, but not bombard people with all sorts of stuff. So we're being very thoughtful about what we put there and we share as much as we can, but with quality. I think quality is important because there's so much out there and I think public and our colleagues really need something that, that they trust and it's, it's, and it's with quality. No, I, I certainly see that and I've, I've read through, the, through several of the blogs. So anyway, we're almost at the end of our time here and I just had uh, one last question for you. You're in New York City. You've, you, know, you worked in your past in the banking and securities industry and so on. How is healthcare different from other sectors when it comes to digital transformation technology-wise? And what advice do you have for tech firms and digital health innovators who are looking to serve the needs of NYU Langone and others like you? Well, clearly there's a technology, there's a lot of commonality in terms of how you organize a technology for an institution, how do you create governance, but on the other hand, healthcare has uniqueness. One of the advice I have, which I've learned also the hard way, that transaction in healthcare is very complex. Think about by the time you think of seeing a clinician and how many transactional interaction you would have by the time you actually in an exam room or you got your medication. Think about a banking transaction where you buy, you want to buy a securities or replace an option. It's very, very simple binary transaction from terms of this interaction, right, compared to and the amount of data is being collected just for you to make an appointment and see a doctor, All right? So healthcare, one of the advice I have to be very mindful about because healthcare transactions are multi, multi-touch complex. Not that it cannot be solved through digital means and optimized, but it's, there's complexity that you have to be aware. It's not as black and white as banking transactions, for, for example. Very well said. Well, neither. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you for sharing all those insights. We look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.